0: So if you have been here, or if you've been following along online for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been having a conversation about money that isn't really about money. <laughs> right? It's a conversation about grace. <laughs> it's a conversation about our appropriate response to God's grace. It's a conversation about the abundant world in which God has provided for our every need. It's a conversation about generosity and how trusting God with our stuff is evidence that we truly trust him with our hearts. So over the past couple weeks, we've read a lot of scripture. We've read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, We read the story of this poor, persecuted church in northern Greece that somehow saw it as a privilege and a gift that they were able to collect an offering to give to another poor, persecuted church in Jerusalem. They took that offering, they gave joyfully as a response to the grace of God that they had already received in Jesus Christ. We also read parts of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. We were reminded by Jesus that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I invited you to go home and read Genesis 1 and 2, those foundational stories that describe the creation of God's abundant world, and then Psalms, like Psalm 24 you just heard, and then Psalm 104 last week. They teach us to sing and to boast about this God who always provides. But there is something we haven't read. We haven't read a single passage about tithing. This idea that we're called to give 10% to the church. And we're not going to. (laughs) And there's a reason for that, which I'll explain in just a minute. But first I wanna go back to that church in Northern Greece I want to show you something in 2 Corinthians 8. and I want to consider three things the generosity of this poor, persecuted church. I want to think about the purpose of their generosity. I want to look at the pattern for their generosity. And then I want to look at the product of their generosity, which might be a little bit surprising. So let's read and we'll see if we can figure out why this poor church considered itself so blessed to give. This is 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Like they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it without being coerced. They did it without arm twisting, without guilt. Now, we're going to talk about this more in a minute because this is one of those passages that has been abused by prosperity preachers throughout the years. But the first and most important question that we need to ask is why? Not why has it been abused. (laughs) Why is it that these churches in Macedonia gave in this way? Why did they consider it a blessing to give? What was the purpose behind such extraordinary generosity? The next verse, verse five, tells us, Paul continues. He says, they even did more than we hoped for because their first act was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. So there's three things in that little verse to notice. Their generosity was beyond expectation because the first thing they did was give their whole selves to God. Like if you remember, I said the past couple weeks, it made you all nervous. I told you Jesus wants your money, right? But I told you Jesus wants your money not because he needs your money, but because he wants all of you. And that's oftentimes the hardest thing for us to give. This church had given their whole selves to God. The second thing is their generosity was beyond expectation because of the relationship they had with Paul and the apostles. Trust had been built between the churches and their pastors. And the final thing, all of this, it's exactly what God wanted. Now, as I've mentioned over the past couple weeks, Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth and he's writing about the promise they had already made to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And as an encouragement to them to follow through on that gift, on their commitment, Paul's telling them this amazing story about what God has done in the life of this poor church in Macedonia, in northern Greece. Y'all, when we talk about stewardship, like before we ever start to talk about money, the first thing we need to think about is the condition of our hearts. Because the purpose of our generosity, it must not start with simply meeting a need. And I know that that sounds counterintuitive. So I'm gonna say it again. We are not invited to give simply to meet specific needs. We are invited to give as a response to the gospel. The only appropriate response to the gospel is repentance and gratitude. And Paul reminds the Corinthian church of what they already know. This is verse nine. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. (laughs) This is so brilliant. Like in these two chapters, Paul never once uses the word money. But he's having a conversation about generosity so he frames the gospel in financial terms. Like this is an idea that he also, he writes about in another one of his letters in Philippians chapter two. It's this beautiful Christ hymn. It describes Jesus leaving the riches and the glory in heaven, descending to be here with us. Why did he do that? He did it so that through him, we may enjoy the riches and glory of heaven. But that's not where the gospel begins. You take it back even farther than that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them by the power of his voice and the overflow of the love shared between Father, Spirit, and Son. Like God formed a place, he created a place that was teeming with life and good things. And then he put humans in the midst of it, his image bearers right in the midst of it. It was a gift given to them. Now, God knew that there were dangers that came along with this degree of independence that the humans would have from God. So God established some boundaries. Some boundaries so that their life might be lived without suffering and evil and pain. But the image bearers said no, right? They crossed those boundaries and they created something themselves. They created a world full of chaos and disorder. It's one that we all know far too well, right? In response, God first told them that this new world they've created is gonna have a lot of trouble, that things are not gonna go as planned. But then he made a way. He made a way back to the life that he intended for his people all along. And God paved that road by forming a people, a family that will literally turn the world upside down. And he set boundaries for them as well. Boundaries to guide their life together so that they would get along and boundaries to guide their life with God. But they crossed those boundaries too. Over time, worshiping other gods, a history swinging on a pendulum between obedience and disobedience. It's back and forth just like that for over a thousand years. And in response, because God still loved his people and his world so much, God sent his one and only son so that everyone who would trust in him wouldn't perish but would find life eternal, the life that God always intended for us from the beginning. And that son, Jesus, died the death that we should have died. And then defeating sin and death once and for all was raised from death to new life, paving the way again for us to enter into his father's kingdom by the wounds in his hands and his feet. He returned to his father's side. And when that happened, the power of the spirit filled the apostles and the newborn church was now the place from which this good news was gonna spread to the corners of the earth. The family of God calling all of God's children just to come back home. Now, this is the good news. This is the gospel of what God has done through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the story the Macedonian church knew. And they knew the only right response to that good news was first repentance and then gratitude. And as a tangible display of that gratitude, they gave. And they gave freely, they gave joyfully, and they gave beyond what anybody imagined they could give. There is only one purpose for giving. We give out of the gratitude for the grace of God. That's it. Not simply to meet a need, but to give thanks. To put our thanks in action. To put our money where our heart is. To express gratitude for what God has done. But Paul and the apostles they, they understood that this kind of thinking is pretty countercultural. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense. It's pretty contrary to our nature. So thankfully, Scripture is so good about getting really practical. They offer us a pattern for our giving. This is from 1 Corinthians 16. Paul writes this, he says, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. Okay, I mean, that's about as practical a verse as you're gonna find in Scripture, right? What's amazing is that if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, it comes right after 1 Corinthians 15, which is just a piece of art. Like it is a masterpiece, it's like a theological work explaining the meaning and the purpose of the death and resurrection of Jesus, saying that without the resurrection of Jesus, if it didn't really happen, we have nothing. We have no hope. It is this incredible, literally, it's like a piece of verbal art, which is followed up with, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. <laughs> like the Bible has such this beautiful way of speaking to our heart and then getting really practical. He says to them, you should follow the same procedure I gave the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait till I get there and try to collect it all at once. So listen, that comes from the end of his first letter to the Corinthians that was written to them after they had already made their own commitment to exercise generosity but it comes before what we've already read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Those chapters were written like at least a year later. Do you know what that means? They hadn't kept their promise. Like had they listened and followed Paul's advice, not a command, it was advice, a pattern for giving. Had they listened, it would have helped them avoid the pressure of pulling it all together at the last minute, Right? Help them avoid running the risk of not fulfilling their commitment at all. So this is the pattern that he gives us. And the first part is every Sunday. Give to God first. On Sunday, the first day of the week, which was established by the church. And that's just a way of saying, start with God. Don't do it at the end of the week when all you have is what's left over. Because remember, giving, generosity, it's an act of gratitude for what God has already done. And God deserves better than our leftovers. He deserves our best. And the next part, the second part of the pattern, put aside a portion of your earnings. Okay, and what I love about that is what it doesn't say. Like, notice what Paul doesn't say. He never says, uh, Corinthians, the Macedonians gave this much and they're poor you guys are doing pretty well. Can't you give at least? Like, right? There's no number. There's no total. There's no figure. There's no percentage. He just says a portion of your earnings, but he never defines what the portion should be. And y'all, this is really important. There is an Old Testament pattern of giving 10%. It's called a tithe, a 10th part. People in ancient times tended to count in 10s right? You have 10, take away one. You'll find that language primarily in Numbers and in Deuteronomy. The prophets will mention the word tithe from time to time, but they do it because when the people stop giving, it's a sure sign that their hearts had wandered away from God. This is clearly a pattern established in the Old Testament. So here's the question. Why does that word tithe never appear in the New Testament? Not once. Jesus never mentions it. Paul, James, John, Peter, they never mention it. No New Testament writer ever uses the word "tithe or commands us to give 10 percent. Paul says, "Give a portion of your earnings." Why? Okay, so what you may not know, this isn't preached very often, and you're about to see why <laughs> the, the Old Testament pattern of giving a tithe, it wasn't just a once-a-year one-time gift. Like there were multiple instructions, multiple scriptures that instruct the people to tithe for a variety of reasons. This comes from William Barclay. Uh, This is from an article that was posted on the Gospel Coalition website. He writes this. He says, under the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, under Old Testament law, there appear to be three tithes. A regular tithe given to support the priests and the work of the temple. A festival tithe for the celebration and required feasts and a charity tithe given every third year to the Levites, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Y'all, if you do the math, the Israelites were instructed to give 23.3% of their income, not 10%. (laughs) You see why that doesn't preach? (laughs) Like I'm telling you, the number isn't 10%. And you all just got really nervous. Don't worry. 10% is not the number, but neither is 23.3. Like, here's the point. Jesus and Paul and the New Testament writers, they were Jews. They were raised and intimately familiar with the expectations and the requirements of Old Testament law. So why didn't they just reinforce the tithe? Why not just say, give your 10% or more? It's because of the gospel they preached because the gospel they preached was that we are not saved by our obedience to the letter of the law. We are a people saved by grace. And this means that the law is no longer the reason we give. Now we give out of gratitude for the grace of God. And it is clear throughout the New Testament generous giving is not an option Generous giving is the pattern for disciples of Jesus. But it's a response to the gospel. It's not done out of obedience to the letter of the law. Y'all, I think the New Testament is silent on percentage for a couple really practical reasons. Again, the Bible is very practical. The first reason is that a tithe, the 10th part, whether it's 10% or 23.3, it's a barrier to entry for some. Y'all, we have entire generations that simply aren't giving because they can't conceive giving over 10% of their income. And I'm telling you, it's not that they don't want to. It's just that they haven't planned for it. And it's hard to see if you haven't planned for it how you can make such a big change today without getting yourself in financial trouble. It's a barrier to entry for some but it's also a barrier to greater generosity for others. Like some of you give 10% faithfully, but you don't feel it. Some of you have been blessed with resources and you don't feel a 10% gift. You don't notice it. Some of you wouldn't feel or notice a 20% gift. And listen, I'm not talking about going into poverty and suffering. I'm not talking about shifting from abundance in your bank account to scarcity. (laughs) I'm just talking about giving a gift that you'll notice, giving a gift that you'll feel some level of sacrifice is a way of expressing your gratitude to God. Like the scripture tells us the Macedonian church gave beyond its means. And listen, that doesn't mean that they maxed out their credit cards or that they wrote checks larger than their bank balances would allow. That is not what that means. Like, I've heard modern prosperity preachers encourage that kind of behavior. And, like, it's not only wrong and it's not only stupid, but it's abusive to people who just want to show their gratitude to God. And that should be ignored. Giving beyond their means didn't mean that they gave what they didn't have, it means that they gave in a way that they felt. There's a pastor named Alistair Begg who talks about this. He says it this way. Can you imagine being a pastor named Alistair Begg and you have to talk to your church about money? (laughs) He's a Scottish guy too. So when he says it, it sounds cooler. (laughs) Um, But he says it this way. He says, they willingly felt a bit of a pinch so that their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem wouldn't have to feel the squeeze. what we want to do is we want to adopt, we want to follow this New Testament purpose and pattern of generosity. So y'all, I'm telling you, our goal here at First Pres, it's not 1%, it's not 10%, it's not 23.3%. It's okay, they need to hear it twice. It's good. <laughs> y'all, our goal at First Pres is 100%. <laughs> They definitely need to hear that twice, Brian. <laughs> but listen, it's 100% of God's people giving out a gratitude for the grace that God has shown us. Like, I'm convinced that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians about this issue. Like, yes, their gift would have been useful, but the goal wasn't a number. The goal was every church giving generously to the needs of their brothers and sisters a hundred percent of the church setting aside a portion of our earnings as a regular part of worship and discipleship and mission. Not a portion that you've been guilted or coerced into giving, no arm twisting and not a portion that you won't miss, but a portion that you'll notice a portion that's felt a portion that requires some thought and some planning A gift of gratitude for the grace of God should be felt, it should be thoughtful, and it should be planned out responsibly. And it should only be between you and God. A gift of gratitude is an act of worship. And y'all, God doesn't deserve our last. He doesn't deserve our leftovers. He doesn't deserve our least. He deserves our best. So this leads us really quickly just to one final passage. We talked about the purpose of generosity, the pattern for giving. This next short passage will help us see the product of our generosity. Um, What's amazing is that even even in our response to God, God offers yet another promise in return. So listen to this, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter nine. I'm gonna read verses seven. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much you give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will give generously all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God, I'm skipping to verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Okay, that is, a, that is an incredible verse. Quickly, that's another passage that's been misused in order to abuse faithful followers of Jesus, right? Prosperity preachers making the promise, if you sow a seed of $100, what, God, what is God gonna give you in return? More money, financial return. Y'all, that is nothing more than an investment strategy. That is not giving out of gratitude for the grace of God. That is not why we give, and it's not what the text says. Yes, God may increase your resources for giving, but why does he do it? Noah, go ahead and throw up the slide. Verse 10 tells us again, he will provide and increase your resources and, say it together, then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Produce a great mountain of cash for you. Is that what it says? God isn't promising greater wealth for you just to store away in return for your giving. He's promising to continue to work on your heart to make you even more generous than you already are and then to give you the resources to do something with that generosity. A great harvest of generosity, making us into a generous people who will do what the world around us won't. Like when we submit our resources to God, he will produce the fruit of even greater, greater generosity in us. Listen, you look around the world and you see a lot of needs, right? Like, do you know how God intends to provide, to care for, to feed, to clothe, to house, and to bring to salvation a world that is living in scarcity and poverty, whether it's material or spiritual? How does God plan to do something about all that? By making his children more and more generous. He's put a church on earth that claims two billion people, nearly a third of all humanity. What if a third of all humanity was exceedingly generous? Might there be less need? Might there be more faith? Y'all, it's not about 10% or 20%. It is about 100% of God's people giving generously because of our gratitude for the grace of God. Becoming a people who he will bless so that we can continue to give beyond expectation. Okay, so a couple final assignments for you. If you haven't been in worship in person or online over the past three weeks, I do wanna ask you, and I know this is asking a lot, but I really wanna ask you to take an hour and a half of your time over the next couple of weeks. Go to the website, go to the podcast, listen to the series one more time like let us make the case for this new framework of giving here at First Press and then spend time in prayer. Pray over the scriptures that we've presented. Spend time in prayer over the reality of your current situation. Spend time in prayer in conversation with the God of abundance and provision and ask him what he would have you give as a regular gift to the work of his kingdom done through the local church here at First Press. That's the homework assignment. And take your time. But don't let 10% be a barrier to entry. Like for some, and I had this conversation with the 930 service because the truth is the younger generations just aren't getting. And one of the reasons is 10% is a barrier. So don't let 10% be a barrier to entry. For some, 2% is the right faithful first step. Like it's not the goal. But for a follower of Jesus who's not giving at all, it's the right place to start. It's a gift that you'll feel without getting yourself into financial trouble and then it sets you up over the next year to be able to pray and see how God can turn 2% into four. Because God has promised to put that generous gift to use and to make it possible for you to exercise even more generosity. So don't let 10% be a barrier to entry. And don't let 10% be a barrier to greater generosity. For some of you who have been faithful with your tithe, you've given your 10% for years. It's time to see how God has already made it possible for you to exercise even more generosity. So take that same 2% model. Okay, I need to be really clear. Don't go from 10% down to 2%. (laughs) You got it, right? (laughs) But take the model and consider adding 2%. And then pray over the next year that you'll see how God will make it possible for you to move from 12 to 14. Give a gift that you'll feel that you'll notice without getting yourself in trouble. Feel the pinch so that others don't feel the squeeze. And listen, this is what I want you to know. Like we will never ask. The staff and the leaders, we will never ask your number. We will never compel. We will never twist your arm. We will never guilt you into giving. I could have spent this entire time telling you all the wonderful things we've done and telling you all the sad stories of need and compelled you to give. That's not the point. We talk about the grace of God. That's why you give. That number is always and forever between you and God. I made a decision when I came here and people have disagreed with this decision, but it's just what I've chosen for myself. As senior pastor, I've decided I do not wanna know what you give. Like I've asked the team to keep that information from me because I never want that to influence the way that we pastor. We will not ask That is always and forever between you and God. Our job is just to encourage and exhort you to trust God, even with your money, Because for some, that's the hardest thing to let go. Give your whole heart to Jesus and let him work in and through you so that together, this church family can be one of growing influence in our community. Like, do y'all desire, do you want this church to grow? Okay, I would like this church to grow too. But I would prefer that we start not just in numbers, in the pews, I would prefer that we start an influence. I think this church needs to have more influence in our community because a church that effectively proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, a church that makes disciples who make disciples, a church that loves one another, that gathers together as a family and gives new people a place to belong, a place to call home, a church that is committed to caring for the physical and spiritual needs of those among us and those around the world, y'all, that is a church worthy of greater influence in our community. Amen? Amen. And I really believe that's who we are. And if that's who we are now, like I literally, I can't even imagine the church that God is forming us into. But I'm really excited to see it. (laughs) Let's pray. God, we are grateful, and I think many of us, we, we show you that in a lot of ways. And we know that our, our prayers, our praise, that, that they glorify you, that they honor, that they bless you, that, that you receive them just like any parent would receive the adoration of a child. But God, we just, we just can't dismiss that the Bible is so practical that the work of your kingdom is not just some future glory, but it's present and you've invited us to be a part of the work. So help us to find ways to make our thankfulness tangible, to make our gratitude a practice, to be able to give in a way that we feel in a way that we'll notice so that you can use those gifts to meet the needs of a hurting and dying world. Give us the courage and the confidence to trust you with every part of our lives, to put you on the throne of every part of our lives because you are the king of glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.